welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Christy Jansen, Chief of Staff of the World Business Academy. And I'm here in a virtual room, thanks to Zoom, with Ronaldo Brudico, the Academy's president and founder, and Benjamin Schwartz, who's the producer for this show. The World Business Academy is a 501c3 nonprofit action incubator dedicated to elevating the consciousness of people in the business community and encouraging business leaders to use their power and influence to take greater responsibility for the communities and the environment their work touches. We are recording this show on May 30th, 2020. And thank you both to Ronaldo and Benjamin for holding down the fort. Last week, while I wasn't available to uh, participate, you guys did a great job. I listened to it after the fact. Well, Christy, you know, we, <laughs> we have to thank you for joining us again. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm really glad know. to be here. <laughs> yes, we're glad you are here. For those who didn't know, Christy had some uh, uh, urgent surgery last week and it turned out well. It did. It turned out great. I can't believe how easy it went. And I'm just grateful for the good medical professionals in my town and the fact that I do have health insurance. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. And Well, actually, you know what? Why don't you start with that? Okay. It's not it's kind of off the agenda, but I was shocked when you told me that you had a $400 deductible, even though you're insured, mm-hmm. and you had to go in for an emergency appendectomy, and you still had to pay the 400 bucks. Tell that, me about that. Yeah, that's my, that was my copay for the insurance that I have, which is decent insurance. It's through Covered California, and I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm generally very healthy. I never go to the emergency room, but that's the emergency room copay. And the thing that stood out to me, and I was able to pay for it because I'm – in that fortunate set of people who do have some resources. But I think for most Americans, a $400 emergency payment would be out of reach uh, for a huge yeah. percentage. Yeah, I think I just want to sh- reflect on this for a second. We're going to talk about unemployment in a minute. And I'm, I'm so troubled. We tried the, several times in the last few years, to, well, ever since Harry Truman, actually, to get universal health care. And we never could get it through. And one of the reasons why was the insurance companies confused people who had employer-sponsored coverage. They confused them into believing that, in fact, they were covered. And why would you want anything else when your employer-covered insurance was so great? First of all, it isn't great, as you just demonstrated, because even even with Obamacare, in effect, you got $4 deductible. But we said at the time, gee, what if you lose your job? Then your insurance goes with it. So now you're out of work and you have no medical coverage. So that's why every industrial nation in the Western world provides universal health care as a matter of a legal right. And I, I don't want to get caught in a, or bogged down in a conversation about are you better off expanding Obamaca- Obamacare uh, to it covers everybody or lowering Social Security from 65 to 60, which Biden has now proposed, and then down to 55 to 50 to 40, and eventually get rid of it. So everybody's on Social Security. Um, I don't really, I don't care how it happens, but I believe the country coming out of this next election is going to demand that we absolutely have to provide medical coverage for everybody. And even though we've already lost 100,000 people already, and I believe we'll lose at least another 100,000 and could be worse, it seems to me that the arguments against universal coverage have absolutely no merit, even though in the past I thought they had little merit. They have no merit now. 
What do you think? Well, I think that's absolutely true. And I mean, I didn't hesitate to go to the emergency room when I had the the pain that led to my appendectomy. But can you imagine if I had had to make that decision and I and I didn't have the kind of coverage that I have? I didn't have the kind of financial resources that I have. I think that's what we're seeing now with COVID where people are waiting and waiting and waiting and they're dying in their homes. And so even right now, we're, we don't even know the full extent of this current health crisis that we're all experiencing. And it, and it's not just the people who are d- dealing with COVID, but it's dealing with, I mean, something as simple as an appendix, right? Who You know, what if I hadn't gone when I did and I'd waited another week, who knows what kind of trouble I would have been in? Yeah, and 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 I, without picking on any subcategory, because all subcategories are equally affected. In fact, I would argue mainstream white people are affected. Oh, totally. But um, if and you were a Hispanic, and one of the eleven million Hispanics who are living under the shadow, you wouldn't go at all. Exactly. You'd be afraid to. I would have been afraid to. And I think that's what they're seeing now. Is like one of the I've read stories about hospitals going. Where are all the heart patients we normally would be seeing? Where are all the other illnesses that would normally be coming through the health system? They're waiting at home. They're delaying getting treated, and it leads to much worse outcomes. If you might have a stroke and you don't get treatment immediately, that's going to cause much greater damage. And the most benign interpretation I've heard of that situation is that people are waiting because they were afraid to go in and get COVID if they went in the hospital. But as you have saw, seen personally, most hospitals now, including all of New York City, which was the epicenter, uh, are clear about segregating emergency room patients with traditional situations and COVID. So what you were, you're picked off at the front door before you ever get in there. And once they know what your difficulty is, they cycle you through the clean side of the hospital emergency room. Yeah. And we keep you out of the COVID ward. And I have to say, actually, I felt it was the best emergency room experience I've, I've ever had. Not that I've had many emergency room experiences, but for myself or for other family members when I've had to visit the hospital, this was – I felt so safe and so well cared for. But I know that if you – if I had to make a financial decision, I was afraid of getting treated, I would have maybe delayed and – Exact as you mentioned, people who are living without health insurance or who are living in the shadows of our economy because they are undocumented or for whatever reason, they won't be going. And that has public health implications not just for those individuals and their families, but for the rest of us. And I think this is something we have to really address as a as a society. Yeah, we do. And and there's two ways to say this statement, and they're both powerful. One is. No one's going to get well till everyone gets well, meaning that COVID knows no boundaries. And clearly, it's extraordinarily aggressive in terms of transmission. It's extremely uh, aggressive. So you have something that's so highly contagious that until everybody's well, no one's going to be safe. Yeah. But the other way to say that, which is more germane to what point you're making, is until everybody is able to live a decent life with insurance, a job, stability, a place to live. None of us are going to live well. And what we're going to see is what we've already started to see, which is the unwinding of the America we knew, which is no longer the world leader. That's gone. Mm -hmm. Won't be the reserve currency for much longer. We'll talk about that in a bit. And won't even be a significant player in the major decisions that the globe will be making in the next 10 years under the current administration. Yeah. Now, if there's a change of administration, 
and the administration that takes Trump's place, say Biden, chooses which he would to re-engage on the international scene. I think it will take years to repair the damage, but I think it can be done. I don't think we're so far gone that we can't. However, we're sliding perilously close to that. And clearly, if there isn't a change of administration in November, followed by a transfer of power in January, both of which I think will be accompanied by more violence. I'm quite clear about that. I think you're seeing that in Minneapolis and cities all over the country this week. Uh, if we don't look at the fact, we have to get back to normal. And I don't by normal mean the way we were living. I mean the way we were feeling about each other. We've got to get this division thing over. We've got to get this rich-poor thing over. We've got to get this black-white, brown thing over. We, we've got to get to the place where we see ourselves as bound by a common ideology, which was the concept of America, rather than a common heritage. Because none of us had common heritage. And as I said in a piece I wrote last week, until we deal with the twin sins, original sins, which people say uh, was slavery, but I added one in front of that. It's Native American genocide and slavery are the twin original sins. And if we don't come out of this post-COVID world with those two addressed and finally dealt with appropriately, there will be no saving the nation that we all grew up knowing and loving. And that's tragic. I feel bad. Like a death in the family. A death of an idea, which is even worse than a death of a human. Because ideas can go on forever and inspire that inspiration is quickly fading, and with it, all sorts of economic consequences, which we should start talking about soon. I just think this is so important, and it is completely linked. I think this is very closely linked to what's happening in Minneapolis and other cities around the country, and and it's been hard to turn turn away from for me, and I know for me and my husband, we've been watching that. Atlanta last night, uh, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles. I mean, people are really upset, and it's not it's not a race thing. It's a lot of the youth are out there. I mean, I know you, you, you're you working on a piece about a letter to the graduates, but I think a lot of people are very concerned and a lot of people feel very unsupported in by this current situation that we're in. Um, there's another thing that I didn't mention before the show rundown when we were running it down earlier, but I think there's an article by David Brooks, uh, like something something like, if we had a leader, if we had a real leader right now, and that's what is really different in this current crisis situation than ha we've seen in the past. Yeah, and I want to put in a plug. If anybody writes info at World Business, I wrote an article, very short, a thousand words, very short, like less than four pages. And the, and the article was on real leaders. I just published it, I don't know, maybe six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. Uh, and please take a look at it. It's probably on the Academy website. But if you want us to send you one, we'll send it to you. And the point of it is, what is it that people cleave to? What do they, what do they claim? What do they choose? What do they, what do they want to embrace in leadership? And this piece is on that subject, real leaders. And uh, I think we've never needed them more. And yeah, and I think um, that's the crisis. Yeah, the crisis we're having right now is because of the abdication of leadership as much as it is for the, because of the external circumstances. I, I would be more harsh than that. I would say that we are being led in the completely the wrong direction on the path to hell. And, 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 it's being, and that path is being um, paved with division, uh, with the idea of setting one of us against another, uh, the idea of be on the winner's side, let the losers go to hell, 
and defining winners pretty narrowly as white older people with lots of money. Uh, you know, it's it's a definition that it takes advantage of the fact that since 1970, we've created this massive disequilibrium between the haves and have-nots that grows every year. There's no end to it, and it does not work. That's the point. It doesn't even work for them. So let's just look at what does not work for me. Unemployment, over 40 million people have filed in the last nine weeks. There was nothing like that bad in the Great Depression. And that's not like a quick little blip. Oh, and don't worry, we opened up Arkansas, so that number is going to start coming down. Uh Uh-uh. No, that number, that number, if we're lucky, will come down by half over a year or more. And the other half, which is almost depression era levels of unemployment, is going to be here for a while. And what I said in my letter to the graduates is I exhort them to look at the opportunity that happens when all these systems break down. And you're coming out of school. The world we gave you, you deserve better. But now you get an opportunity. You have unlimited time and unlimited energy. Go co-create the world you want, not the one that we screwed up and gave you. And I believe there's a lot of interesting stuff in that article, whether you're a graduate or not, that you might want to see. But picking the 40 million, because that means recent graduates have no jobs. Many of them have college debt. Many of them have to go home and live with their parents or on the streets. And by the way, domestic violence is way up. I don't know what happens when the kid comes back from college and the parents are already beating each other up. So there's, there's, a, there's a whole series of domestic issues. There's enormous economic issues. And here are these young people with no place to go. And what I endorsed in the article, which I endorse on this program, I believe Elizabeth Warren is 100% correct. We should be giving $2,000 per month per adult, meaning everyone 18 years of age and older, indefinitely until this crisis is over. And I would define the crisis being over as when the unemployment rate falls below 7%. And if you do that, think of what that means for these young people all of a sudden. Their full-time job becomes, how can we improve society and make it fair and just? Now, that's a fun graduation opportunity. Um, I I also wanted to point out that in this period of time where, you know, uh, oil is still down by 38%, even after the Trump administration has been pumping billions into the oil companies through uh, the CARES Act, uh, renewed the $16 billion in tax breaks, (laughs) it it bought, this is the best one, for those of you who didn't notice this, he ordered the Pentagon to buy oil at $10 a gallon. $10 $10 a gallon. Yeah. Now, last time I drove by a gas station this morning, it looked to me like it was closer to two ninety five, and that's in California. I think it's probably like $1.95 in Georgia. Yeah. You mentioned that on the la- on last week's uh, program. And oh, I, did I? Yeah. And I was listening to that. I was like, holy crap. The thing that's I'm interesting stuck is, on that. you know, <laughs> I, just, um, I just purchased a full electric vehicle, and I know you've already, you already don't have to go to the gas station. But it's so interesting to me to feel the disconnection now as I drive by a gas station and I don't have to be concerned with the price tag of gasoline. Um, and it's just this interesting relief that I don't have to worry about the fact that it's getting back up over $3 a gallon in some cities in California. And it's, you know, no, under $2. What you do have to do, because you're in California, you've got to watch out for PG&E in Southern California Edison. Yes. And- because they're going to screw you. <laughs> no question. 
And um, the way they do it is by holding back the amount of renewable energy we can create so they can drive up the price. And then they get the governor to agree to reimburse them for starting fires that burn people down in Paradise, California. I mean, it's it's a terrible, incestuous amount of lobbying that goes on for PG&E. I mean, the only felony company, five felony convictions, only felony utility in the country, and they get bailed out again for the third time. So, uh, and, and, and they'll make us pay for it through the energy bills, which is why I have 10 kilowatts of solar on my house. So I can minimize the impact on these guys, but I can't get rid of it. I wish I could do that. I, I have I have a condo situation, so I'm not sure how I can do that. But why don't we get back into the order of the show that we had talked about earlier? We were talking yeah. about we were talking about leaders and leadership, and I thought maybe that would be a good entry into the conversation about the EU. Yeah, let's talk about the EU because we said last week we we're talking about Europe, and was that prophetic? Because the biggest single thing that's happened in Europe since the beginning of the European Union happened last week. And that is, the European Central Bank, at the urging of Macron of France, and surprisingly, Merkel of Germany, has decided that they're going to put up, depending on how you count it, 750 billion euros. But if you count it another way, in terms of what the, uh, the European Development Bank is going to do, it could be as high as 1.85 trillion euros, which is the equivalent of about $2 trillion. That's massive. That, that's $2 trillion in Europe is way bigger than $2 trillion in the U.S. And what they're going to do, they're saying, is they're going to give the money out mostly as grants directly to the member states and some as loans. But the bulk of it's a grant. Now, why that's fascinating is because it's the not only the end of this insane thing we, we railed against for years, which was an austerity program that Merkel pushed on Europe that was unbelievably destructive for Europe and led to all this political upsets. But that she's come around is really encouraging. That act of agreeing to fund states directly from a central federal, in effect, authority is the beginning of the Federation of Europe, meaning the post-European Union device, political device, that will kick in. It's likely to be federated because you can't do grants from a central authority unless you also, sooner or later, Combine your taxing authority. And when you do that, you've changed your sovereignty, which means you've then surrendered fiscal authority. And they probably should. In fact, that it's taken them this long is not in their interest. And with the U.S. no longer in the world power position that it is, it's incredibly smart for the Europeans to do that. So I'm, I'm hopeful that they continue down this path. There are four holdouts, Austria, Denmark, Netherlands, Sweden, who historically have resisted these kinds of things. I think the Netherlands will have to go along. It has no choice. Um, I don't know what Denmark is going to do, although I would hope they would be reasonable. I certainly hope that um, as it goes forward, any state that continues to object will be given the choice of leaving the Union. And that would be a good, good outcome for the Union and good outcome for that state, as Brexit was. Let's make it easy. Because Britain is collapsing right now. I mean, not only is COVID collapsing it, which it is, uh, there was a major article this week in The Economist called The Wheel Turns in the subhead. For three decades, London was in the ascendant. Now it may have gone into a COVID-accelerated decline. COVID-accelerated, not COVID-cost. Brexit caused COVID-accelerated. So that's what's going on in Europe. 
And let's just talk about that for a second in the, set, in the context of in the, the way the world looks at the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency. When things get crazier and crazier in the world scene, people have what's called a flight to safety. And since World War I, generally, but unquestionably since World War II, the flight to safety has been to the flight to U.S. instruments, T-bills, treasuries, U.S. currency. That's all changing. So there's going to be a new um, reserve currency. Right today, people are still betting it's going to be the dollar. That's wrong. Um, no matter what happens in the November election, the U.S. dollar is no longer going to be the world's reserve currency. We've lost that position. It won't be recovered. And what you're going to see is countries like Iran, for example, in order to obviate the control of the U.S., which is sort of like a dead hand trying to control everybody who's still alive, Iran just sold five freighters full of oil to Venezuela. Venezuela paid them in gold. We keep talking about gold. So as I would have done at the beginning of the show, I'll do it now. Gold the last year is up 34%. Oil goes down 38%. Um, the stock market going sideways still, even after its recent gains, and soon to go down a whole bunch more. For the simple reason, there's no excuse for the market to be this high. So of all the ways you can hold value now, gold is the most important. And the one that is continuing to put any ceiling on it is the strength of the U.S. dollar because gold is bought in dollars. Now that gold can be bought in oil, that too will break down. And when you see what Europe does by combining itself as a post-European Union, European federalism, which I think is what's coming, that will give the euro a chance to be a reserve currency. Then, of course, there's the reserve currency called the renminbi, which I think the Chinese are going to continue to manage well because it's already becoming a competitive reserve currency. Those three, Europe, U.S. dollar, gold, all are going to be vying for the power to be the reserve currency, and it is no longer going to be the U.S. alone. And when that happens, our ability to float unlimited debt, because we're not smart enough to know how to run our economics, will go away, and the U.S. will stumble across one of the great precipices of all times. That's an incredible statement, Ronaldo, and to really think about a world post-U.S. leadership. And yeah. I, I don't think we really have a, a, a good understanding of what that's going to look like. And it's interesting to see. Well, we do in this sense, you know, because it's already happened. We, we are post-leadership U.S. now right now. The U.S. is no longer leading anybody. No. It's not even leading itself. Nobody's taking signals from it. No one's, I mean, they don't even consult the U.S. anymore, which they shouldn't. Because no. how do you consult well, Trump? What do you consult? Trump's, anyway. Trump's uh, his foreign policy is withdrawal doctrine. I mean, he's withdrawn from every opportunity. Well, well, you know, I I wouldn't dig his. I don't think if I was a policy, he has no policy. Trump is a moment to moment. How do I control the media cycle? Yeah, producer of, of television, and a con man, and a money launderer, and a crook, and one could say a murderer because he intentionally lets people die from COVID because he thinks it'll help his reelection chances. Because so many brown and black people are dying. I mean, that's a hell of a thing to say, but all true. Now, let's, before we run out of time, I did promise people I'd talk about one other piece of real estate this week, and that's multi unit dwellings. And why I want to talk about it this week is because last, through about three last three or four weeks, I've been watching something build slowly, like a, like a snowball rolling downhill, and it's getting bigger and bigger. And that's what I'm calling the eviction crisis in the US. 
So when you see these long lines, these miles-long lines at food banks in Texas, for example, uh, I don't want you to think about the fact those people are in cars picking up 100 pounds of food. What I want you to think about is they're not going to be able to afford the gas, and they're not going to have a place to live. So in a nation that already has 560,000 homeless, we're about to double that number or more. So if the evictions that are already on the boards start to happen, you're going to see massive. I mean, it's stunning that the government will let it happen instead of just putting an eviction moratorium up, but they're not. And I doubt that they will. And those people who own apartment buildings who think that somehow it will help them are wrong because there's going to be excess capacity and not enough demand. So you're not anybody who builds an apartment building right now is like is a fool. And if they aren't worried about how to keep the existing apartment building full while people are unemployed, that person is a semi-fool. So real estate, no, don't buy into multi-unit dwellings, which include apartments, condos, co-ops, any form of multi-unit dwelling, which would normally be a good thing to invest in at this time because the home ownership rate is dropping, is not a good idea. How do you see this actually unfolding in places like Los Angeles and other big cities in California where there's this tremendous pent-up demand for housing? I mean, how is that going to how is that going to really impact us in these coastal cities? Well, as you know, California has a disproportionately high homeless rate as it is. Very disproportionate. So, that disproportionate homeless rate is going to keep going up. But that doesn't mean you got somebody who's going to rent from you. Mm-hmm. It means you got somebody who moved out of your building who's going to take their place. Right now, Los Angeles, last time I checked, and remember, this is a this is a following statistic, not a leading statistic. LA was already over 25% unemployment. So, where do those people live? And if you evict them, who takes their place? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel so sorry for a country like South Africa, which did everything that it could right. And I've spoken very highly of Rapahosa uh, before this uh, on prior shows. And when, and I, when I saw, saw how, how uh, in, in South, South Africa, Africa, for example, the, the government, government having, having done everything, done everything it, can, it can, and now it just can't keep the lid on any longer. So three times the number of its infections to date occurred just last month. Last, last week. week. I think it was just last week. I mean, they like it, week, it, it yeah. just has a pop, like a huge yeah, yeah, surge. Yeah. And so you, when you're looking at that kind of pandemic crisis wrapped in a Great Depression, surrounded by a climate change which is worse than both combined, you have to either start acting really smart and really different. You have to shift your consciousness. If you shift your consciousness, you can fix it. Everything I've described can be fixed, <clears throat> including climate change with a shift in consciousness. But you can't get it that you can't get if you go out of the same frame of mind to paraphrase Einstein. That got you to the problem in the first place. So where I would leave people today on that subject is we'll keep talking about real estate on the side. We'll keep talking about other things that I think are really critical for people to observe. Every once in a while we'll have something good to talk about, like finally the US Supreme Court uh, blocked a church in California who wanted to do services and not abide by social distancing on their First Amendment rights. And uh, fortunately, um, the court voted five to four with with Roberts, now beginning to look at his reputation. 
going, mm, not a good idea. Let's 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 see if they can't do something reasonable. Yeah. Um, I'm going to let it go for now. I just want to say in one more word. I think the Governor Cuomo has done a brilliant job. He continues to do an incredible job bringing New York through this crisis. He's down to 84 people died yesterday, which is unbelievably low now from COVID. He keeps dropping it down every day. His intubations go down. His hospitalizations go down. His new hospitalizations go down. He is putting it under control. Now, if anybody's going to get a state out of that crisis and reopened intelligently, it'll be Cuomo. So people want to watch him. Watch what he's doing and see if your governor has the same amount of courage. Uh, we don't have that courage in California, although I think we have a decent governor. Uh, I think you do have that level of courage, for example, in the state of Washington. And uh, DeWine from Ohio, the Republican governor, showing a lot of courage. Whitmer in uh, Michigan, showing a lot of courage. So there are courageous governors around. And I've written extensively on these compacts that they've started. And hopefully they will have, make some difference for people and they will actually create a better outcome than what's going to happen in Arkansas, Alabama, Mississippi, Texas, and Florida. And this will be an opportunity for leadership to really show that it makes a huge difference. In, in yeah, yeah, I think I think this is the definition of leadership. You know, real leaders are people you can trust because you know they have your best interests at heart and would make the decision you would make if you knew what you, they knew and you had their resources at your command. And as, as you pointed out in that article, it's amazing what you can get done with very little resources if you have a good, uh, empowered, you know, group of people. You know, it's ma amazing what people can actually do if they've all come together. Yeah, I, I think that's really true. And, and I also want to, I'm going to end on this note. There was a lot, there's a lot of talk constantly about false solutions, simplistic ones. and all that. The one I've been hearing about for the last six, eight weeks is why do we try the Sweden method? Well, the Sweden method was no method. Sweden was just, you know, let it cut through. We got younger people. What the heck? Yeah, Sweden is absolutely paying an enormous price for that stupidity. So I, I'm certain it has the highest mortality rate probably in the world on a, on a per capita basis. And uh, they've been holding that title for seven of the last 14 days, and I think it's going to go up. The only thing that's going to cause them to lose that title is if the U.S. gets ahead of them. But the possible exclusion from regional travel bubble that because of the Swedes is also something that could spread the virus. Denmark and Norway did it the right way, and they're doing fine. By the way, Vietnam, I think one person died in the entire COVID crisis. You should study what they did there. Um, they're doing phenomenal uh, with uh, in Japan. And, and, and if you look at Singapore, the reason is the one thing in common with all these Asian countries that have done extremely well resisting the COVID crisis is they all wear masks. Mm -hmm. We know that 80% of the problem would go away if everybody would wear a mask. And if you don't, it's you, it's like you flipping your middle finger to everybody else in society and in the process, flipping it at yourself. So I, I leave you with this. We can create a better tomorrow. We have to because we've run out of every other option. So I'll quote Winston Churchill. You can always count on the Americans to do the right thing in the end after they've tried every other opportunity. <laughs>
that's a great way to end it. And, you know, since we jumped into the, our conversation without me finishing my pitch, uh, before we end, I just would like to invite our listeners to reach out to us at info at worldbusiness.org with if you have any questions or comments about today's show, or if you have any pressing topics you would like for us to bring up in the future, we, as always, would love to hear from you. Uh, also, I'd like to ask our listeners to support the podcast however you might. If you have the means, you can make a tax-deductible contribution to the World Business Academy at worldbusiness.org slash donate. And I know we've gotten a couple of donations, and thank you so much for signing up there. You can also support the podcast and our work by giving us a high rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. And also subscribe. You can always listen to us on the go with Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio. Just search World Business Academy. Thank you so much, Ronaldo. Yes, go ahead. I got a new one. Okay, let's see. How about this? Give me the Academy, not me. Give the Academy 10% of your future profits from buying gold. (laughs) I'd settle for that. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. (laughs) 